Welcome. This is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 92 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is How to Implement a Sanctions Compliance Program. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Before we get started, two points. First, please subscribe to our podcast and support our podcast by giving it a five-star rating. Second, I wanted to mention that my law firm, the Volkoff Law Group, provides assistance and counseling on compliance and enforcement matters relating to the Department of Treasury's OFAC regulations, Department of Commerce Export Administration regulations, and the State Department's ITAR regulations. We assist companies in reviewing specific transactions, implementing compliance programs, and responding to agency requests for information or to an enforcement action. We've helped a number of companies to conduct voluntary disclosures, audits, and inter- internal investigations as necessary. We're very familiar with the existing sanctions programs uh, involving Iran, Cuba, Russia, Venezuela, and other countries. If interested in our trade compliance services, please contact me at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Well, thanks for com- uh, attending today, and we're going to address... What I think, and I'm not one for hyperbole, if you know me, uh, is OFAC's framework for sanctions compliance programs. And in my mind, it's a compliance game changer. If anything, it's more, I think it's going to have more of an impact ultimately than even the Justice Department's new uh, evaluation guidelines. So, and the reason I say that is because when it comes to sanctions compliance programs, most companies are well behind the curve. I'm not saying they do nothing, but most companies have a less than mature program. OFAC's new framework really raises the bar by creating a well-crafted framework for companies to assess their current program and then provide some important objectives. So in this respect, OFAC's document is helpful and is something that can be used to guide the implementation of an improved uh, program. So um, the first question comes up is, like, where should the sanctions compliance program reside? And I've always said that uh, you shouldn't have a silo of sort of sanctions or trade compliance separate from your overall ethics and compliance program. I know their specialties and people tend tend to see them in silos. But there's too much now that overlaps, and particularly with, re- with regard to the framework, now is a time to make sure that they are merged together. So they should be part of an overall compliance program. And it doesn't mean you have to have a separate sanctions compliance policy. You can have a trade compliance policy, and one part of it being sanctions compliance. Uh, it depends on your overall uh, business operations and your risk profile. But... There are a lot of things that should already be going on within your ethics and compliance program, which can be sort of integrated or merged into the sanctions compliance area. So my point is that there's the general OFAC framework requirements uh, are already or should already be satisfied. When it comes to some of the more specific sanctions uh, elements, program elements, The definition of these sanctions risks and the prescriptive elements, that's the thing about the OFAC's new framework, is that there are prescriptive elements. That's where the companies need to get to work, and that's where the companies companies need to implement improvements. So let me see if I can 
sort of map this out. So for each area, um, what I'd like to do is talk about the general sort of requirements, which are probably already met, but some of the more specific and prescriptive requirements that should be in your OFAC compliance program or sanctions compliance program. So as a general matter, OFAC has strongly encouraged, in quotes, companies and individuals subject to OFAC jurisdiction to implement a, quote, risk-based approach to sanctions compliance by developing, implementing, and routinely updating. That's an important phrase, the routinely updating, an SCP. SCP stands for Sanctions Compliance Program. OFAC's framework is based on five essential components, and we'll uh, go through the implementation on each of these components. One is management commitment, risk assessment, internal controls, testing and audit, and training. Within element one, management commitment, OFAC requires that the company's board and senior leaders demonstrate its commitment and support of the organization's SCP. That's not going to be something that's going to be hard. If not, you may already have done so. The company's SCP receives adequate resources and is fully integrated into the day-to-day -day operations. That means that the business has to be involved in the process of screening and checking for sanctions compliance. Management support includes the provision of adequate resources to the compliance units and support for compliance personnel's authority within the organization. So you have to have a compliance officer and we'll talk about this in a minute, who's assigned sanctions compliance responsibilities, one or more, and that person can also be a compliance officer in the department. Your overall compliance department doesn't have to be separate. If anything, it should be within the department. There have to be uh, direct reporting lines between the sanctions compliance functions and senior management, so some reporting line that goes up to either, let's say, a, a, a compliance committee, senior management compliance committee, or some reporting to a senior manager of some sort. Senior management has to promote a culture of compliance by encouraging personnel to report sanctions-related misconduct without fear of reprisal. Again, that's something that should be generally true within your organization. Senior management messages and takes actions that discourage misconduct and prohibited activities and highlight the potential repercussions of non-compliance with OFAC sanctions. Those are, again, saying compliance is important to us. We can be hit with fines and penalties and even jail time if we don't comply. These kind, those kind of, there has to be some kind of message. These are all general tasks and all general principles that should be already ongoing or easy to address within your current compliance program uh, framework. Now let's look at some of the prescriptive elements within management commitment that have to be satisfied. A senior management has to review and approve the organization's SCP. So that means either the board or senior management has reviewed and signed off and there's documentation of that sign-off. The organization has appointed a dedicated OFAC sanctions compliance officer, which I already mentioned, who can also be responsible for other parts of the compliance program. SCP, uh, sanctions personnel, compliance personnel have to have the requisite quality and experience to understand the commercial activities, apply their OFAC knowledge, and identify OFAC-related issues and risks. So it has to be somebody who knows has experience in the, in the OFAC area. And last, the organization has to have an appropriate 
information technology software and system for its SCP, which means we have to have a good screening tool and hopefully some automated record-keeping tool that goes along with that to ensure that we're properly screening and looking for potential uh, issues. So there's nothing in this element, there's really nothing that's so significant here, uh, you know, except that we got to make sure that the board or senior executives, we have documentation of the review and approval of the FCP. So again, nothing so burdensome in connection with uh, the first element. Now let's go to the second element. And here, uh, this is, and the second element is risk assessment. And here, there are definitely new prescriptive er, uh, elements, and there's what I call a new era for analyzing your sanctions risks. So the new approach, in my mind, reflects OFAC's recent aggressive enforcement actions. Um, and in recognition of the importance of various sanctions programs like Iran's, North Korea, Venezuela, OFAC has gone uh, in terms of enforcement matters and laid out important markers. These enforcement actions include the Epsilon case, which I've talked about previously in other webinars and podcasts, the ELF Cosmetics case, and the Cobham case. And all three of those, and I'm, I'll get to the, into this a little bit more in detail, have to inform the, the implementation of an effective uh, SCP. So, um, so to address this, let's look at the general requirements that OFAC outlined. First, a risk assessment should consist of a holistic view of the organization from top to bottom and assess its touch points to the outside world. Uh, the organization should co conduct a regular OFAC risk assessment uh, on a frequent basis that adequately accounts for potential risks. And it should be updated as new risks or new problems occur and are remedied. It has, the risk assessment has to be updated. So these are, again, these general statements and principles, there's nothing here that's earth-shattering that's going to require some uh, real change in terms of the overall operation of the risk assessment. But now let's turn to some of the prescriptive elements. And here we get into what I think are the really most significant changes uh, in the overall sanctions compliance program area. So now a risk assessment has to include assessment of customers, supply chain, which is the big issue to me, intermediaries, and counterparties. Also, the products and services that it offers, including how and where such items fit into other financial or commercial products, services, networks, or systems. Here we're getting into the classic case of you manufacture a good, you sell it to an OEM overseas, the OEM puts it into another product, and that OEM then sells that product to Iran. The question is whether or not you have U.S. origin goods that you're responsible for in that resale of your product. And you do if you manufacture it in the United States, and it could end up in Iran, and you could be responsible for it. That's what they're getting at with the second part of the risk assessment. Third, the geographic locations of the organization, as well as its customers, supply chain, intermediaries, and counterparties, meaning in close proximity, if you're operating in Dubai as a commercial center, you're very close to Iran, and we've had incidents involving Iran. 
uh, involving the financial industry uh, in particular and in involving uh, uh, manufactured goods as well. Uh, and fourth is potential merger and acquisitions where those involve particularly non-U.S. companies or corporations that are acquired. So the implications of this list is far-reaching, especially with regard to the company's supply chain and products and services, which are exported and then re-exported by a third party or foreign manufacturer, and a broad geographic location assessment. Let me explain a little bit more. Under the Elf Cosmetics case, a U.S. company was found liable for the fact that a Chinese manufacturer was sourcing its products from North Korea and then uh, ultimately providing products, eyelashes here, from the Chinese to the United States company. Even though the U.S. company had no knowledge of the Chinese company's sourcing location, the U.S. company was held liable. And it was specifically cited that the U.S. company had not conducted a supply chain audit for purposes of compliance with OFAC. As a consequence now, to meet OFAC expectations in this area, organizations have to assess their entire supply chain, identify risky operations that may be manufacturing from locations in close proximity to prohibited countries like, I said, Dubai and Iran, China and North Korea, in addition, organizations have to push down OFAC compliance, representations, and audit procedures throughout their respective supply chain. As to re-exportation risks, organizations now face two significant risk areas which reflect, again, OFAC's enforcement in the Epsilon case relating to third-party distributors. Companies have to take steps to ensure that third-party distributors do not re-export items from the U.S. to a prohibited country, such as Iran uh, or North Korea. Such risks are particularly acute with regard to re-exports to Iran. Further complicating this issue, like I said, is the fact that manufacturers often sell products to foreign manufacturers or OEMs who then take the U.S. product and use it to produce a uh, finished product which contains that U.S. origin product. Depending on the extent of the foreign manufacturer's ultimate use of the U.S. origin product and how much percentage is ascribed to the U.S. origin of the overall product, the U.S. manufacturer now can be liable for the foreign manufacturer's ultimate product sale to an otherwise U.S. prohibited customer or country. This can raise a number of nightmare scenarios for U.S. companies. Finally, the OFAC framework requires companies to develop a sanctions risk rating for customers, customer groups, or account relationships based on a due diligence project process, which includes screening and also independent research. So you can't just rely upon the screening. You have to get some independent research into uh, your overall risk ranking system. Uh, this element requires more than just a simple yes or no screening system. Companies have to invest time and develop a risk-based scoring system or classification system to apply for risk ranking purposes. So that's risk assessments. Now let's go to another area which is important to look at, and that is internal controls. The term internal controls, I've always said, is a loaded one. It morphs in various ways depending upon the context. 
Sometimes it's a shorthand for financial accounting controls. Other times it encompasses a company's compliance controls, policies and procedures relating to specific uh, compliance areas. So OFAC embraced the term as a separate element to equate it with the company's policies and procedures for sanctions compliance. So they have to begin, and OFAC recognizes that compliance begins with the business, and from that, that point on, sanctions compliance depends on clear rules for identifying, elevating, escalating, and resolving potential red flags. This doesn't sound like a big deal, for ethics and compliance programs because we already, in facing a number of risks, we have uh, put in uh, controls that are going to try to ensure that appropriate issues are identified and escalated. But OFAC's aggressive enforcement record in this area makes it even more clear how important this is to get the identifications and escalations done. So as a general matter, under the general requirements, which we should already have met, there are a couple of things that are Im implemented. The internal controls have to include policies and procedures, and hopefully we already have that, in order to identify, interdict, escalate, report, and resolve and document S uh, SCP compliance activity. We also have to uh, make sure we... The purpose of our internal controls is to ensure that there's a, a appropriate reporting and escalation chains, and we minimize the risks identified in our risk assessment profile. Um, and the policies and procedures, and in particular the procedures, have to reflect the day-to-day -day operations and procedures of the business and have to be enforced, and we have to have internal and external audits and assessments of the program on a periodic basis. Uh, and again, a lot of this should be covered by existing uh, compliance programs, especially in the trade compliance area. On the more specific level, there's one big new, uh, there are two interesting items, but there's one really significant one. To the extent we, uh, we, we depend upon an information technology solution, meaning we're screening pursuant to whatever service vendor we've gotten uh, service from, uh, we have to make sure that that's integrated into our internal controls, that we've documented our selection of the uh, technology solution, we've calibrated it to uh, conform to our risk profile and compliance needs, and we routinely test the solution to ensure its effectiveness. In other words, that we're screening and we're not coming up with any errors. Um, the uh, organization also has to ensure that its OFAC-related record-keeping policies and procedures adequately are documented and documenting its S uh, SCP. The new focus, though, on the technology solution reflects, again, uh, the Cobham case, uh, which is where OFAC is not willing to, they were unwilling basically to ignore a potential screening error as mitigations for a sanctions violation. So now what they're saying is you're liable for any screening error and you've got to make sure your system is set correctly, tested properly, so we don't want to hear that kind of excuse. So those are the, this is a new and important compliance requirement. Okay, we're, uh, now we're down to uh, compliance training. 
and testing requirements, uh, the last two elements. And uh, the Justice Department and OFAC, like every compliance, uh, uh, compliance practitioner, will pay homage to the obvious point, there's no one-size-fits-all compliance solution. So these factors eventually form the basis for a company's risk profile, which informs every aspect of the company's compliance program. So it's, the way I look at it is a company's risk profile is the DNA foundation for your business and ultimately your ethics and compliance program. So as the risk profile changes, so should the compliance program. This is why monitoring, testing, and auditing functions are so important. And this is also where compliance technology, data, and other fast-evolving tools promise real insignificant uh, change. So most companies now, uh, you know, we all hear about AI, data analytics, and how the old model for continuous change based on testing against rules and auditing for compliance with rules is going to be replaced eventually with new capabilities for real-time data analytics and management using artificial intelligence, supercomputer processing and analytics, and eventually blockchain. But in the meantime, until we get to that point, we're really still relying on testing and audits as well as a basic training programs. So with regard to training, OFAC outlined a number of general principles that are already known and hopefully followed by compliance professionals. In particular, a training program has to be tailored to an entity's risk profile, and the appropriate employees and stakeholders have to be trained according to specific uh, risks. Obviously, the training program has to be accessible to foreign language employees. But OFAC did not stop there. There's one specific requirement now mandated, which is an annual training requirement for relevant employees on sanctions compliance. So companies have to conduct training for all relevant employees and personnel on a periodic basis and at a minimum annually. And it has to be updated to reflect any identified deficiencies in the SCP. In the testing and audit area, however, OFAC offered general principles which already should be known and implemented by companies in carrying out their audit and testing functions. OFAC noted that an organization's testing and audit operations should be comprehensive and objective, and, of course, program weaknesses and deficiencies, as well as compliance gaps, should be remediated. So, for example, OFAC stated that companies should assess the effectiveness of current processes and check for inconsistencies between these and day-to-day -day operations. Testing and auditing can be conducted on a specific element or on an enterprise-wide level. On the more prescriptive level, OFAC explained that testing and auditing should be accountable to senior management, independent of audit activities, and possess, and that the auditors and testers should, be, uh, should have the requisite skills to conduct the tests and audits, and they have to have sufficient authority, resources uh, uh, within the organization. None of these requirements are really that surprising, but they're still a few number of organizations that I run into where auditing and testing results are viewed as quote-unquote suggestions rather than mandated changes from an auditor with the full-blown support of senior management and the audit committee. 
But in most cases that I see, internal audit receives, uh, you know, gets the attention it deserves. Deficiencies they identified have to be remediated by specific deadlines, and if, uh, the, if the business doesn't reach those deadlines, they're reported to senior management and even to the audit committee. So hopefully uh, the one, the companies or organizations that view and turn internal audit and testing deficiencies into suggestions can turn them into mandated changes. Well, that's it for today, but that's just a quick roundup of, again, look for the prescriptive elements, the specific elements of the OFAC framework uh, and implement them into your system and make sure you meet the general requirements. Again, it doesn't matter whether it's a standalone sanctions compliance policy or you integrate it into a trade compliance policy and hopefully overall the trade compliance policy and the operations are part, not siloed, from, uh, uh, of your overall ethics and compliance program. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At ethical companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.bocoplaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can always contact me at my email address at Let us know how we can help you achieve your